The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Mike. And welcome to the land of milk and honey where the Bruins are still number one. Number one with a goalie with a uh, with a goalie goal. I was gonna say. Well, I was gonna say welcome to the land where of milk and honey, where the goals flow freely so much so that even the goaltenders are scoring. <laughs> hey, I, you know, I wasn't. I didn't care which one of them got one. I didn't want to see a Bruins goalie goal this year. Now I've gotten really greedy. And I want to see Swayman get one, too, because I'm pretty sure that no team has had goals from two separate goal goalies in the same year. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure that Swayman, in his own mind, wants to score that goal as well. So now that, now that Omark has, you know, set the mark and wow, it was <sighs> – the form on that thing, I mean, he got it on the stick. You could see the confidence, and he just launched it, and he it landed in. Did it land in the other offensive zone or just barely over the blue line in the offensive, offensive zone? Uh, just above the top of the slot, bounced, I think, twice and went in. Landed uh, perfectly flat. I mean, the form was just ridiculous. That was a that was a uh, a situation where risk reward had been balanced, and he said, "Bleep that! I'm going for it," because he had three unabated defenders coming in on him, uh, or three unabated uh, Canucks coming in on him. Yes. And just launched launched it over their heads like it was mini golf, and they were they were the arms of a uh, windmill or something. It was, and 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 the cell, the celly was cool too. <laughs> arms in the arms and stick in the air, and everybody's mobbing him. Somebody tells him he has to go over and, and he has to go to the bench, so he goes over and he do, and he does the celly line with the bench. And then in their post-game hug, Sway comes out and he throws his hat like he got a hat trick. And I mean, it was it, it, it was very entertaining. It was fun to see. I do hope that Swayman gets one as well. That would be really cool to see. It, as far as the team itself, I mean, did you think anything? Uh, did you have any uh, immediate... Uh, opinions of either Hathaway or Orlov? Um, Hathaway was largely invisible, which basically means he was doing his job. Um, you know, I mean, he played a little over 10 minutes, I think, uh, after uh, in the game last night. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was good. To, um, Orlov except for the misread and mishandoff on the uh, on what turned into the Canucks goal he looks like what i expect him to look like i've liked orlov for a long time i don't know if i mentioned it um, i believe we both mentioned it on more than one occasion yeah but 
And I mean, as weird as it sounds to say, and I'm not an absolutely no slight uh, and no, this, I don't think this trade happens without uh, the death of the elder Ovechkin because that was the only reason that Ovechkin, that Ovi was coming off the ice is that sort of event. His father passing away. That was rough. Is, and he, with him gone for a week and them missing, losing a couple of games while he was gone. thought they lost five. They, they dropped out of contention. Uh, I mean, in the ta- in the last week or so, uh, Buffalo, the Red Wings, and I want to say the Senators have all held the playoff spot for at least a couple of hours, um, which is great for those franchises. But without some sort of event like Ovechkin coming out of the lineup, uh, I don't think this trade happens this year. And I am whatever I think of this trade and I have mixed feelings on it. Um, I think that it's a much better trade, a much, much better trade for the Boston Bruins, both in terms of culture fit. And I, and it's weird to say that as someone way outside the locker rooms, um, and in terms of the Bruins' actual needs, if, go, if we rewind back to six, seven shows ago, I said yeah. I wanted two things for the Boston Bruins this year at the deadline or by the deadline. I either wanted speed yeah. or I wanted playoff experience, recent playoff cup-winning experience. Now, it's been a couple of years since Washington won, <clears throat> but Orlov is only 31. It's not like he's achieved mascot status. I mean, he's not even on the five oldest players on the team, and neither is Hathaway. Um, I could have done without Hathaway, realistically. There are other players I like more. But he skates better than I expected him to. They didn't. They didn't necessarily, and, and, and that was my thing, is they didn't necessarily need Hathaway because you could have brought up, as we said, pre, as you said, pre-show, they could have brought up Wagner and filled the fourth line spot, which is what Hathaway is going to do. Well, they could have brought up a couple of different guys from, from Providence. Wagner was the one with the most uh, playoff and NHL experience. Right. The um, fact that they, the fact that they brought Hathaway in. I mean, if you listen to Jack Edwards, if you watch Bruins games on Ness and you listen to Jack Edwards, he's born to be a Bruin, born to be a Bruin. And yeah, he is. He's a physical guy. He, he's not afraid of contact. He's not afraid of going in the dirty areas. He's gonna, he's gonna muck it up, and and he's gonna get you some of those greasy, dirty goals that you know come from scrums in front of the net and whatnot. And that, and that's fine. I like that. I like the chippiness, but was it necessary? Not really. No, I like, I, the Orlov trade I think was inevitable because of how unwell Strollman and Riley performed in their time, uh, Wearing the spoke to be this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the thing that I do like about them, and I think, and I, and I very specifically think Sweeney did this for a reason. I think he traded for two guys from the same team, 
so that no matter what else, they didn't feel alone coming into the best team in the league. And 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 that's an admirable that's an admirable thing to do. I I like it. I it it, it gives Orlov, who was I hate to say it this way, because I don't want Hathaway. I don't want I don't want to think of Hathaway as just kind of a throw in, but Orlov was clearly the the centerpiece, the, tar- the target of the deal. Yeah, they wanted they wanted another left side defenseman. They got Orlov, and believe me, as much as we lambasted Sweeney for everything uh, not related to the Taylor Hall deal <laughs> or the Olympus or the Hampus Lindholm deal, this was clearly an upgrade from the whole Gavrikov situation. I never wanted Gavrikov. I didn't think I, he was a good idea. Chitrin too. What's that? I, I, I'm firmly in the camp that it's an upgrade over Chitrin, too. Uh, Chitrin has no playoff experience. He's never really played a meaningful game um, where there was some risk to the team or the team's reputation. Um, I Can you hold that? And I, I think it's a fair question, but maybe it's not. Can you hold that against him? Considering the fact that he's playing for the Arizona Coyotes, who haven't contended for a playoff spot for Actually, at least the last seven, play, he did play nine playoff games in the nineteen twenty season. But that was uh, the uh, wasn't that bubble hockey? That was that was that was pretend offs or or whatever. The pretend offs, yes, that's exactly what I called them, and I don't regret it. Um, with the extended, that was the they had twelve teams and. The 12 teams, uh, whatever, however it worked, or 16 teams, whatever it was. I think it was 16. But uh, based on winning percentages as opposed to earning their way in. So, yes, they squeaked in in like the 15th or 16th slot or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I – but he had no expectation at when the pause happened – that he was going to be in the playoffs that year. No one did. Right. Um, I don't hold it against him, but if it's something that you value, because in his two years in the OHL, he only played in one playoff series there. Yes, he had eight points in those seven games. Mm-hmm. But just the routine of getting into the playoffs, it, it's a different beast. So I wish Jacob Chikrin well. Maybe the Bruins pick him up this offseason. I don't know. Um, neither does anyone else because, honestly, I don't – at this point, I'm not entirely certain that – or I lean towards him not being traded. I lean towards Kane not being traded. That and, was another question, yeah. And I also lean towards uh, Carlson not being traded before the deadline. And the deadline is Friday. I will be online on Twitter <laughs> all day. We will I will both, have my TV. I'm fairly certain we will both be monitoring closely. <laughs> uh, may decide to do a Twitter space. Um, we haven't done one of those. Uh, it might be amusing to just talk about what's going on and what isn't. Uh, maybe for half an hour at some point that day. 
Um, I, I, there, I don't, I'm there. The whole thing with Kane, it, I don't know if he's going to get moved. The, the, now suddenly it seems like there is movement. Yeah, well, not movement, but there is uh, smoke, I guess, or maybe a, a couple of puffs of smoke. Yes. That he could be going to the Rangers, but I, I'm not, I, I'm still not sold on it. I think his loyalties to the club that got him three Stanley Cups, his loyalties to Jonathan Taze, and and we wish Jonathan Taze a full and 100% recovery in whatever he is going through. I've read multiple different things, and I don't want to speculate because I'm not a doctor. I don't know Jonathan, so I just wish him well. I... The other thing that annoys me immensely about the whole Kane trade narrative is that it's been the Rangers, the Rangers, the Rangers, the Rangers, the Rangers, the Rangers, like there's only two teams in the league, like legitimately, like there's only one possibility for where Chicago could trade him. And while perhaps Patrick Kane, you know, said to the front office in Chicago, yeah, the only place I'm willing to go is is the Rangers. I don't know why he would say that. I mean, I can understand him not wanting to come to Boston. Bruins are deep at left wing. Yeah. Um, and I I don't know that I'd want to come in and maybe be the third or fourth best person at my position. When I'm when I'm as good and have as good a playoff uh, record as he does, so no, I I can under I could un- completely understand him not wanting to go to Boston. I could completely understand him not wanting to go to Edmonton or to um or to Toronto. Makes perfect sense to me. No one needs to explain it. But if and I'll say it and I'll say this until, well, I'm proven wrong. As far as I'm concerned. The Devils are a bigger threat in the East than the Rangers. Uh, This year, based on what I've seen. I would have to agree with that. I think the Devils are the scarier team. Shesterkin, notwithstanding, he's still an excellent goaltender. I think he's a little bit off of last year's Vesna stats, but that's, I mean, yeah, maintaining but, the numbers that he had last year. It's like asking Omar this year to have these numbers for the next three years. It, it, you know, the chance of it happening are very slim. So they're not performing. As well as they did as a unit. I mean, obviously, Chris Kreider, 50 goals, was uh, an outlier. An outlier. <laughs> Unexpected, an outlier. I had, the, I had his wing wrong. Uh, Kane is a right wing. It, um, but even as a right wing going into, going into New Jersey is just about perfect. Uh, their highest scoring per, natural right wing is... Nathan Bastion, who's played 32 games and has 10 points. 
He's going. Um, he's going. He's going to fill a bigger need on the Rangers, uh, on the Devils, than he is on the Bruins, because you've okay. got top line. You've got DeBrusque, who's playing, if not better than he ever has, at least equal to what he's done. Absolutely, I can even see going to Carolina if you're not like the folks at Deadspin who have already written them off. Um, over going to New York because let's face it, they don't have a superstar. Yeah, we de- we delved into that topic last week, if I'm not mistaken. Well, we- um, yes, uh, I mean going and going to play with either Sebastian Ajo or Marty Nechez as as your center. Not the worst thing that could ever, could happen to you in a postseason. Uh, I mean, he's he played way back with uh, wasn't Teravinen a a Blackhawk uh, in the beginning of his career? Yes, he, he was the he was the he was the finished Patrick Kane. He finished Patrick Kane. Um, so going to play with a guy who you already played uh, parts of three seasons with, um. Is is Raleigh quite as spark, sparkling a nightlife as Chicago or New York? Probably not. <laughs> um, Probably no. not. I don't believe it is. Um, but like another good t- another team, assuming they had the cap space to do it, well, the cap space and the capital is Vegas. They are all in this year. But yet they aren't. They aren't making. They have no I understand. Case. I understand they're all in, but they're not making moves like they're all in. I haven't seen that blockbuster. That I mean, and yes, Kane could be that guy, but I haven't seen anything from the Knights that tells me that they are all in. It makes sense considering that they're not the youngest team in the league. You've got Eichel. You've got. I mean, you've got really good pieces there. You've got the misfit line, which is the the guys who are still the, the, the original, you know, the OGs, the 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 original expansion draft pick guys. You got William Carlson and, and Jonathan Marchessault and and Riley Smith, who probably feel like they missed out on something, making it to the final in their inaugural season and coming that close only to fall short to the Capitals. Oh, they absolutely feel they have unfinished business. Uh, there's there's no way you cannot. Exactly. Now, whether the fire is burning as hot as it was previously, that's a different question. I mean, the argument there being, you know, Mark Stone, not help, you know, they, I don't know. They just haven't shown me that they really desire it. If I, if, if I'm putting it out there the right way. I just I don't I'm not you're saying, but given how well they're doing, despite starting the start, despite running the year without their number one goaltender, because despite, let's face despite it, by not having a system under that head coach. Let's face it. Robin Leonard was expected to start the season, be their number one goaltender. Yep. And roll. And they were supposed to roll into the playoffs with 
a reasonably healthy roster. Robin Leonard went down before the start of the season. Mark Stone has been out a while. Yep. Nolan Patrick is out. Logan Thompson is now uh, on the injured reserve. So Aiden Hill, one of their three goalies under 30, um, is now the backup. Um, or actually, no, it's Lorraine, Laurent Brossois. Whatever his name Laurent is. Brossois, he came over from Toronto. Um, he's your number. No, I'm sorry. Winnipeg. Lauren Bressois is probably it, – it, it's probably a 50-50 thing over there because Aiden Hill is a decent goaltender, but he's never been the the number one guy he has for short stints. Mm-hmm. Lauren Bressois was always the backup to Hellebuck. Um, decent backup, a... but again, only only in short stints was he the number one, like if Hellebuck was out hurt or something. But I just, this is still a strong roster. Yeah. I mean, they even even though they had Eichel and two or three other guys out at once, they still lead the Pacific Division. They have a couple of players that wouldn't mind the Western having. Conference. That Chandler Stevenson guy. Um, and <laughs> they're they're a deep team. It's not like you're talking about a team that's you know they've got their four or five best players and then a bunch of plugs. Um, I. In most years, Vegas would be the odds-on favorites to win the Cup. And this year, despite, you know, that Jack Eichel kid and William Carlson and Jonathan Marchessault and Riley Smith and Chandler Stevenson, you've got Kessel, who's been there and won the Cup. You've got Keegan Colazar in your bottom six providing that uh, sandpaper. Mm -hmm. and. Also, a little bit of skill. Um, William, that's skill. Okay, who likes to hit? Um, just okay. He adores hitting. <laughs> yes. Um, and then that blue line. That's probably the best blue line in the Western Conference. Petrangelo, Martinez, Shea Theodore, Braden McNabb, Zach Whitecloud, and Nicholas Haig. Yeah, I think I've. I think I've stated. How much I like their defense. Theodore, White Cloud, yeah. Yeah, Petrangelo, yeah. Um, Mart- and the thing is, Alec Martinez and Alexander Edler. No, Al- I'm sorry, Edler's in L.A. Alec-, Alec Martinez brings, obviously, Stanley Cup. Uh, Petrangelo brings Stanley Cup uh, experience. They're not lacking for deep playoff run experience either. They They are set up. As you say, they they are they are set up to be all in. I just haven't seen, and that's what I'm trying to say. I haven't seen anything that shows me that desire. They haven't made any real moves with teeth. I get that, and I think some of it is. I don't know if they're waiting for, um, waiting for Stone to come back. I haven't heard anything one way or the other. But if you'll notice Cap Friendly's uh, cap projection, um, the current deadline cap space is almost exactly the salary of Mark Stone. Maybe (laughs) they know something we don't. Like, it's, boys and girls, it's literally like $1,000 off. It's 
Hmm. <laughs> now, clearly, they're not pulling a a uh, they're not pulling a Tampa Bay and going to drop him into the first round of the playoffs, having not played all year or anything like that. But they Kucheroved him, which apparently became a thing after Tampa Bay did that with Kucherov. Well, they did it two years in a row. They had Stamkos one year and then Kucherov the next year or the other way around. I don't remember. Um, and I don't see any real. Maybe they feel they don't need to make any. I, I, I don't know I think- what. I, I honestly don't know what. Um, McC- I think we will McCrimmon see a deal. Kelly. I think we will see a deal. I don't know that it will be a huge one. Um, but I I suspect that we will see a deal before the deadline. I don't know what it'll look like, but there's the NHL belief that giving it your team that vote of confidence by adding someone uh, around the deadline. <sighs> Not even sure what I'd add. Um, because they're, I mean, they're in reasonable shape in terms of picks, um, but they don't have a super deep prospect pool. Well, they, Vegas was able to shed money because they traded Shea Weber to Arizona for a a for an NHL for an AHL player, Dyson Mayo. So they were able to shed Shea Weber's seven point eight million. Yep. So Shea Weber is now a Coyote if he ever comes back to play, which is doubtful. I think it's safer to say that uh, it's about as safe to say that. Bergeron will be playing in the NHL six years from now, as it is to say that Shea Weber will play next year. <laughs> okay. Wow. And not that I want to interrupt, but I guess this is kind of breaking. Uh, the Montreal's gotten younger. Dallas has gotten older. The Dadnov. Evgeny Dadnov to Dallas for Denis Gurionov. Wow. I mean, it 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 clearly. I don't know that it was a a cap move because the official amount of money changing hands only ended up being four hundred thousand uh, dollars. Dallas only got $400, but Montreal retained 50% salary on Dadanov. I mean, I guess if I'm going to make a move at the deadline and I'm the, and I'm the is Knights, this a, is this I'm a, going forwards. I'm going for a forward who can, who can put the puck in. Yeah. Maybe Dallas. that does mean going for Kane. Maybe it does mean going for JVR or Hayes. Um, maybe they're going has to. Anybody, has anybody even. I haven't even seen anything where people have, are approaching Philly about players. I mean, 
I can't imagine that they're standing pat and that they wouldn't be sellers. They should but. be. They should be sellers. I mean, maybe they I want agree. to go after Timo Myers. There's there's scary bits to Timo Meyer. Uh, one of them being that whole ten million dollar thing, you know. Well, Timo Meyer's contract is six million a year. I mean, he's an RFA with restricted rights. At worst, you can flip him again at the draft if you're if you if you can't sign him, or you can let someone else offer sheet him and take the picks. I thought there was a ten million. A, a ten million number attached to Timo Meyer. That might be that. what he's asking for, or people expect that he's asking for. But right now, he's a he'll his contract expires at the end of the year season. Oh, okay. Uh, well, his base salary is ten, but his cap hit is only six okay. after the year. Um, I I don't think anyone cares about that if they if they expect to win a cup. Um, I would. Yeah, it's all salary. Okay. I, I, I don't know. I, I expect that Vegas is going to do something because I don't know that Mark Stone is any closer to coming back from what I've read or seen or heard. So I would expect that Vegas is going to try and pull off something. Uh, Yes. Uh, so let's look at a couple of the uh, stories we have in here. Um, some of them are really quick. Um, we talked about Orlov to Boston. Um, there's been a lot of talk about what the pairings should look like. Um, yeah. I came up with my pairings uh, or how I would play them game one of the playoffs against pretty much any opponent. Um, do you want me to go first? Do you want to talk about your pairings? Go ahead, give me, give me, hit me with your pairings. I, I told you before that I'm unhappy and I need to yes, vent. Yes, we know. <laughs> um, so for uh, for my first pairing, I'm putting Grizzlick and McAvoy together. Uh, I'm also putting Lindholm and Orlov together because I think that they can really be a very, very good pairing if they can get in sync. Um, and my my other pairing is Forbert and Clifton. I'm I would be very reluctant to break them up because they've been so consistently effective. There's been no major dips in their play um, at all this year. They've done what they needed and they've made it to the right place at the right time a very, very high percentage of the time. Now, that's not to say that I hate Carlo. He hasn't been bad this year by any stretch of the imagination, but that's how I'd do it. Apparently, we think alike. I'm actually sitting here trying to think of maybe another way to switch it up because I had the same thing, and now I'm trying to redesign my – because I didn't want to sound like I had the same thing, but – Somehow I knew we were going to come up with the same thing. My issue, my issue with, and that was my issue with last night. And why I'm upset. I didn't expect that you were bringing in a left shot. And yes, he Orlov does play, has played, does play both sides. But you were bringing in, you wanted a left, you wanted a left. That was what you were after. You wanted a left. And the first thing you do is you break up your most consistent D pair 
And if they were together last night, yes, in, in, in a vacuum, you know, if they were together last night, that goal against the Bruins doesn't happen because Bobort and Clifton have that communication, that camaraderie. You, I always see Clifton in front. Of, he's always covering the backside. He knows where he needs to be. If they hand off, it's seamless. And I can't break that up in good conscience. Lindholm and McAvoy, Lindholm and Orlov, I think that between the two of them, they're similar styles in that they're both very strong two-way defensemen. Yep. And keeping a little bit more physical. Uh, He likes the open ice hits a little bit more. Yeah. Keeping Grizzly and McAvoy together. I don't know how wild I was about it at the, at the beginning, but I don't know if it's because they played together at BU as a pair or whatever it is. But Grizzly does seem to allow McAvoy to be a little bit more aggressive. I think it's that he just doesn't have to think about what his his pairing is going to do. They played together in their formative years. And they played together in the NHL. They, I mean, realistically, there's not a pairing on the blue Bruins blue line who has played together more. Um, a different pairing would be to flip Grizzlick and Lindholm and have Lindholm and McAvoy as your number one pairing and then put Grizzlick and Orlov together, um, in which case you're getting – you're spreading out the physicality a little well you're keeping the physicality a little bit differently i also i also like that pairing from a standpoint of again like i said before orlov decent two-way defenseman he can score he's not a defensive defenseman he can score and i think putting orlov with grizzlick would allow him a little bit more flexibility in attacking, in, in attacking, which is what Mac, which is what Montgomery wants from his defense. He wants the defense activated. He wants them going in and getting points, shots on net, scoring. I mean, how many times have we seen Clifton circling behind the net in the oh, offensive yeah. zone? I mean, I I actually like Connor Clifton's ability as far as zone entries. I mean, he's actually fairly strong. He's got a he's great exit passes out of his own defensive zone. Those first those first passes out. And the other uh, another option, well, with the with the second option with the Lindholm McAvoy pairing. Yeah. If you really want to go or feel the need, you have to go heavy with those two. You can play those two 24 minutes a night. Give the other two pairings 18 minutes a night, and they're both fresh and humming the whole playoffs. 24 minutes is only about two more minutes a night than what McAvoy and Lindholm are currently playing now, so it's not a huge jump. But given the way the coaches seem to feel about the two of them and having them together to put in the face of, you know, that uh, uh, Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews line. That's, that's going to be effective. And every time you get the puck away from them in the Bruins defensive zone, and that line is going to have to defend. 
it's almost not going to matter which forwards are out there with them. Mm-hmm. They're going to get shots. And if it's the fourth line, they're going to put a shot on to get the stoppage and get the uh, and get one of the other lines out there or maybe make a live transition if the goalie just kicks it back into action. Yeah. Um, and, and, and as you said, it is rough. I don't like sitting Carlo. I don't have anything against Carlo. I just I think that these pairings give the Bruins what Montgomery is looking for. I think they give the most mobility and the most. I think they give the most mobility and that that's that's my biggest worry, like legit biggest worry about the Bruins. You know, I've talked about New Jersey. I've talked about, I mean, there's, there's a chance that Buffalo or, or, um, or um, the senators sneak in. And well, I don't think it's likely. Um, Buffalo does have a game in hand and is only one point behind uh, Pittsburgh. And they've got two more regulation or overtime wins if it comes down to that tiebreaker, which admittedly it never has. So, um, so of Pittsburgh, Buffalo, Detroit, you know, it, it, it's a. Of Pittsburgh, Buffalo, Detroit. It's a it, it's almost a toss up. I mean, you look at their, their, their winning percentages. I mean, Detroit, yes, they're at a 552. Buffalo's at a 561. Pittsburgh's at a 560. The scary part is they're all better than, well. The Islanders have played more games, but the, I mean, their win percentage is only five forty, and I just of those three teams, it, the one it, that it, I least want to play is Buffalo. It's roll the dice and pick them. Yes, I think Buffalo to me is the strongest of those three. If 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 I was to fear one of them, and fear is as a, a strong word, as a matchup, that's the one that has the most potential to go wrong. Yes. If Craig Anderson is in that. <laughs> if Tage Thompson decides that he needs another five goal of another five point night or five goal point night. I mean, Tage Thompson is scary good. Yeah. Uh, Quint or um, it's Jack Olson that there you've got Jeff Skinner that I love that team. Like it is a lot of fun to watch that team play hockey. Yes, their goal. Yes, their back end still needs work, but and they're in a lot of ways a lot like Ottawa and a lot like Toronto, in that you know they are more capable of winning six five games than they are two one games. But there's not really many one uh, two two to one goal games in the NHL this year. Unless you play the Bruins. Yeah. Um, I just, I mean, it, it, that's the one thing about Buffalo that doesn't scare me is their goaltending. But Craig Anderson, as we've discussed many times. Uh, if, he, if Craig Anderson gets to the playoffs this year, I I kind of fear for whoever ends up playing him. Because he knows it's got, he knows if it's not his last hurrah, it's it's close. It's close. He he's over forty at this point. Um, and if they manage to climb into the second the second spot and they end up facing off with Carolina at this point, 
um, who's most likely to finish uh, on top of the Metro. Just for um, reference, just for reference, and he has only played in 20 games, but just for reference, he's got a 920 save percentage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't want to play, I, I literally do not want to see the Buffalo Sabres with Craig Anderson against me in the playoffs, particularly not in the first round. Um, because honestly, if Buffalo makes it in and makes it out of the second round, the sheer they have nothing like if they make it into the playoffs, period, they have nothing to lose. But if they have both nothing to lose and the confidence of winning two rounds, forget about it. They're winning the cup. Because the West, the only team that has a good shot at stopping them in the West, as of right now, is is Vegas. And Vegas doesn't score as much as Buffalo does. I mean, Edmund... If they go, if they go on to play Edmonton or the currently configured, assuming they don't pick up a two C um, Avalanche, and the Avalanche have a little bit of work to do to make it into the playoffs. Um, oh no, I'm sorry, to make it to the finals. I, you're you're talking about track meets, like legit. You're gonna see. Five six seven six nine five Stanley Cup final games. Yeah. Which wildly entertaining and will probably do hockey some good. Uh, I, I like like I said, I don't want to I don't want to play Buffalo in the first round or the second round. I just don't. You can't deny you, you can't deny that that they've got they've got the talent. I think that they they they're missing that something, and I I I don't know if it's a number one defensive defenseman or if now if they added Ekholm <laughs> to oh, their team, we haven't team. Even touched on Ekholm yet. Wait a minute. <laughs> if they added Ekholm to that team. Uh huh. Especially if they do it like today or tomorrow, and you have those a couple of extra games, it, it might actually provoke Pittsburgh and and the Red Wings to sell. Like you can't deny what a horse, like what a wagon that team is, and you give them someone who's a still hungry. B still able and C has almost as many games of playoff experience, probably more playoff games experience than everyone else on the team put together. Um, like I would, if I were their coach and I found out they had traded for at home without gutting the roster, I would probably be doing backflips uh, in my office for like 15 minutes before I calmly walked out and uh, informed the rest of the team of it. Okay. Um, so, uh, while we're talking trades and potential trades, uh, one of the guys the Boston Bruins were linked to has also moved on. Uh, Barbashev 
has gone. Has she moved? Um, I thought. I mean, is it just an agreement? I, no, I just haven't seen it pop up on on. I, according on, to Jay Fresh Cap. Hockey, at this point, um, okay. I haven't seen it pop uh, up I on Cap was acquired by the by the Vegas Golden Knights uh, for a... Oh, see, rock. they're listening to us. They're listening. They're listening, they're listening to so us. They're, they're already... They're making moves as we're recording. As we're recording. Um, is the right-left center... Um, He's still listed. He's still being shown on the blues, but um, like I said, it's not popped up on cap friendly yet. So I don't know if it's gone through the the league offices and this is just a, you know, an agreement in principle or something like that. But it's not popping up on well, cap. Darren friendly Drager, uh, tweeted it uh, as well. Uh, I'm going to assume. I don't deny that it's happened. I just. I just haven't seen it on Cap Friendly, so I'm I'm assuming that it hasn't hit league offices. I mean, my guess is they're not 24/7. Gary Bettman doesn't want to be sitting in front of his fax machine, or whoever sits in front of the fax machine. Rutherford uh, of the Athletic has tweeted about it as well. No, well, if the Athletic has it, story. If the Athletic has it, then I'm good. <laughs> It's just interesting. I, I don't know. Does Barber, I guess, just to put a bow tie on it then, since we started with Vegas, does Barbashev move any kind of needle as far as I think Vegas? he can. I mean, the Blues were Not significantly good. ungood this year. <laughs> Especially the goaltending. I said that out loud. Uh, I mean, last year he had 26 goals, 34 assists in 81 games. This year he's at 10, 19 uh, in 59 games. So they absolutely get a boost just by going to a playoff team. So there is ability there. Okay. Oh, there is ability there. Um, and his the fact that he plays all three forward positions makes uh, makes Cassidy's job easier or maybe possibly more complicated. But he has more options for sliding him in. Okay. Um, I can't see how that's a problem for the coach, but okay. I I like the deal. Uh, Well, it might make more players more nervous and more likely to make mistakes. Um, We know that Cassidy is not particularly um, adept at managing the way that he works with young players when they make mistakes. Uh, and that team does have a good number of youngsters, uh, from Brett Howden to uh, Keegan. Even Keegan Colasar is only 25. Paul Cotter is 23. Jack Eichel is 26. Um, I mean, I think it's fairly safe to say that Jack Eichel is not going to get benched for two games um, if it, if he makes an average turnover. But probably uh, not. But even White Cloud and Haig are both, you know, they're 26 and 24. Um, 
it, it will be interesting to see what what they do with Barbashev and if they have other moves to make. Um, let's see, John. Uh, quick hitters. John uh, Gibson made history. Oh, I feel so bad for John Gibson. Yeah, he made 50 saves for the third time this month, becoming only the second ever to do so. The uh, to record three 50 save games in a single month. Uh, Gump Worsley back in 1955-56, so well before any player in the league was born. In fact, probably before the parents of almost every player in the league were born. Um, it was the last time some some poor goaltender had to save 50-plus shots in a game. Three times in the same calendar month. Yikes. Yikes. The problem is, I believe one at least one of those was a loss. It almost doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just I feel bad for Gibson because there's a guy with talent oozing out his ears and there's just a whole lot of meh in front of him. And can only you can only hold it together for so long without uh, without losing it. And and I think that if he he's another one of those goaltenders that I say put him behind this defense and let's see what he can do because he's not a bad goaltender. <laughs> no, he's just on a bad team. Yes. And I and and then you've got and and they are young. They are young and you got Troy Terry, you got Trevor Zegers, you got uh, don't they have uh, Jamie uh, Jamie Drysdale. Uh, you've got a couple of older gentlemen. You got Adam Henrique who's there for, you know, who's there for leisure. But it's a younger team. Absolutely. Or, or at least all their ninety percent of their talent, or eighty percent of their talent, is in the younger players. You know, I'm, I don't think Henrique's lost a whole lot of edge. I mean, he's a little no. hockey old, maybe if that. But um, Ilya Labushkin. Labushkin. Why does that name sound familiar? Well, I'm pretty certain we mentioned him about two, maybe three months ago on the show. Okay. Uh, Buffalo Sabres defenseman. Yeah. Uh, he became the second uh, NHL defenseman to score an unassisted shorthanded goal in overtime since goals by strength were first tracked in the 19. And that's been since 1933-34. The other was a gentleman whose name I have literally never heard, um, which is, you know, Probably not surprising, given that he played before my mother was born. You mean Ott um, Heller in 1937? February 18th, 1937, for the New York Rangers. Yes, February 18th. So very nearly, what is that, 70, 80 years later? Sure. Earhart Ott Eller. 
Todd Heller. So he scored a short-handed, unassisted goal. goal in overtime. Wow. Yes. Okay. I did miss that one, I have to admit. And for those of you wondering, uh, Ott Heller played 647 NHL games um, and then continued playing for another another dozen or so seasons <laughs> across a couple of different leagues. Um, he then went on to coach the Indianapolis Capitals of the AHL in 48-49 um, through the 51-52 um, he played. He coached the Kitchener Waterloo Dutchman. Um, he coached in the old IHL, the QHL, um, and then uh, he coached the Woodstock Athletics and the Gulf Regals, uh, rounding out the final years of his career. Um, I'm sure every one of you will want to know that for your next game of hockey trivia. So there you have it. I'm going to try to to remember that. I'm writing it down right now. Just before the show, (laughs) um, the two of us were talking about drafting by the Boston Bruins, which has historically been atrocious, occasionally leaving by some really fun drafts. Occasionally atrocious? Okay. (laughs) Um, But... I think there are two names that may well end up being linked for the next decade or two based on the way that one of them is playing in the NHL today. And the other one is playing um, in the Swedish league. That would the second one being Danslok Mellis. Danslok Mellis and Jeremy Swayman are poised to become the two best fourth round picks by the Boston Bruins in the past 20 or 30 years, possibly ever. Um, and Lock Mellis is having a year uh, for Luella. Um, last year, he had a pretty solid season um, playing for uh, their for their 20 or J20 uh, team, 34 points in 44 games. He also uh, put a little time in their national and their regional J18 games and then two games in uh, in the Swedish Hockey League for Luella. Um, This year in just 38 games for Luella as J20, 53 points. And uh, that's allowing for his time off for six games for the World Juniors. Uh, where he picked up three goals and then uh, two other Latvia international games as well. Um, I'm, I really liked what I saw from him at development camp last summer. Um, I probably talked about him at least as much as any prospect. Uh, I, if he translates to the NHL, I and may have to give up criticizing Don Sweeney for, at least six months. And yeah, I don't know if we can have a moratorium on that. I mean, that was going to be my, that was going to be my, my dissenting argument, dissenting, not being the right word. I, I'm not disagreeing with you, but it, the opposing argument would be 
will what he's doing in Latvia, will that translate to NHL level? I mean, I, I don't know. I'm great. I, I'm, I am so happy for a success. It, it, it means future success for the, for the Bruins here, obviously, uh, barring any significant moves or trades or something like that. But the two things that worry me about it are a, yes, it's, it's the J20 league, not the Swedish hockey league. And B, despite the fact that he started the year at 18, so he's it's not like he's an overager. Right. Um, he's leading his team in scoring um, by nine points. Nine. Um, and I, 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 I'm very grateful that we will that we will be able to keep an eye on him. Since and he is going size. to be attending the University of Massachusetts, his size, and his that's size. probably why he will be going to UMass Amherst for a year or two. He weighs 154 pounds at 510. Dan Zlock Mellis is listed at uh, by his team as 154 pounds. Wow, elite um, prospect. Elite prospects is lying to me then. What is elite prospect saying? Six feet, 170. It's not close. He had a growth spurt. spurt. Um, I mean, I grew until I was 22. Um, I would be much happier to see him in the NHL at 170 pounds. Yeah. I I literally don't want to see an NHL player at under 165. And I think that is on the small side. Um, of where I'd be comfortable. Uh, but 154 in the NHL. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to see it. But I will be, I may make the, I may make the pilgrimage out to UMass Amherst to see a game uh, oh. next season. Oh yeah. From that would definitely be, I mean, Lowell. We've we've said it. We've been saying it all along for what five, four or five years now that college hockey you need you you need to get out and see it. It's college seen. hockey is probably the perfect level to learn hockey as a fan. Yes, I, that I agree with as well. But it or the ECHL, like <laughs> the speed just, is just the speed of play is just right. Just know if you go to an ECHL game that you need to take the activities in the stands with a grain of salt. <laughs> yes. You're not going to get the same reaction going to a college game. <laughs> I, I don't know. Some of the chants at the. Uh, it, well, yeah, the bean pot. The bean some pot. of the chants were. Uh, mm. Slightly but I don't close. I don't recall seeing a referee hung in effigy in the stands at a college hockey game. <laughs> this is true. And I'm sure we mentioned it before, so I don't want to dwell. But, yeah, I can't remember saying, wow, here we are watching Harvard play Northeastern. And look at that guy's got a referee on a stick. <laughs> nope. Um, <laughs> on the list of stats for him to chase to keep Patrice Bergeron in the league another year or two. Yeah, um, there is one that I genuinely think that they could get in two years, maybe three. 
but this year plus two more. Um, as of their last uh, last shorty, they have uh, Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchand have combined for thirty-two. Thirty-two shorthanded goals. Yeah, they actually talk um, about they that passed game, yeah. Don Luce and former Boston Bruins co- uh, assistant head coach Craig Ramsey uh, uh, for sole possession of second in all time by a pair of teammates. They are now uh, let's see nine behind Yari Curry and some guy named Wayne, um, who had to use two teams to do it. Um, because they did it in Edmonton and L.A. Um, but this is one, and I want to say, and I believe that if they, if he actually played another three seasons, I genuinely think Bergeron would hit the 500 goal mark. I, uh, I I don't mean to rain on your parade. I really don't because see, I want to see three seasons. I, I don't. I don't see that happening. It's a wonderful thought. And considering the fact that he's still playing at Selkie level now. Yes. To see him three years from now and and say that, you know, well, I just I don't know if he's with his family and with the injuries that he sustained. He he stuck it out for a thousand. Now he's what, over thirteen hundred. He's over thirteen hundred, yeah. That's, I don't know. That would put him over fifteen hundred too. I mean, there's always another milestone. There's always another goal to achieve. There's, especially if they win the ultimate prize this year. No, he's actually at twelve seventy four. So. Um, he should hit 1300 if he's healthy before the end of the year. Oh yeah. Um, and they don't decide to sit him too many games. Um, I mean, it would be, it would be a wonderful thing to see him and Brad pass hall of famers. Well, I I mean, the other thing is, is that Brad Marchand is now at nine seventy four or something like that. Nine twenty four. 924. Yeah. Uh, if Bergeron comes back next year, just next year, he should get to play with Brad Marchand uh, for Brad Marchand's thousandth game. And they will, I think, even after you take out all of the injuries and suspensions, they would have played close to 900 of them as line mates, uh, which is a ridiculous number. Like a ridiculous number, particularly in the salary cap era. Particularly in the era of free agency. Um, it just hey, the hey, only hey, other hey. guys I can think of who played that much together, and even they were split up a lot more, are Perry and Getzlaff. Yeah, they didn't yeah, always they play together. No, because uh, Kane and Taze don't always play together. And certainly Malkin and Crosby don't. And even Backstrom and uh, Ovechkin have spent a lot of time split up. Uh, I'd be hard pressed to think of any other pair of forwards in 
in the post, yeah, in the uh, in the free agency era, salary cap era, who actually played more than more shifts together. I it sounds like a don't. great question for those stat geek sites. Um, <laughs> I should, maybe I should tweet it to them after we finish recording. Um, not to spend the entire show on the Boston Bruins, but our good friends at Inside the Rink uh, are basically confirming what what our friend uh, what we said earlier this year, Kirk Ludecky, or late last year, Kirk Ludecky had said. Uh, Gregory or Merkulov. Yeah. Georgi Mikulov is making serious strides um, with Providence, 16 goals, 23 assists in 46 games, plus eight rating, um, 22 years old, uh, really just adjusting to uh, the NHL, playing alongside uh, Fabian Lysel, so that 23 assists looks even better. Uh, knowing that there's a chance that a year or two from now, the two of them are reprising their act in Boston. Yeah. Um, good to see because it's been really, really quiet about him um, since he got uh, to Providence this year. I actually kind of prefer it that way. Oh, I do, too. I think so, that there's too much, in some ways, too much coverage of prospects. The less noise, the less noise, the better. I think there's, I think it's less distraction. I think it's, if there's not a lot of noise, it means there's not a lot of issues. I actually prefer to be hearing not so much. I mean, unfortunately, you're going to hear about the Fabian Lysels. You're going to hear about the Mason Lowrise, who's still at Ohio State. Uh, but Georgi Merkulov was kind of a under the radar kind of thing. I don't. It makes me wonder how many people actually know he is in the Bruins system. But, yeah, he's uh, quietly starting to show us why the Bruins had gone after him. So, um, And for those curious, Fabian Lysel, 11, 17, and 28 as a first-year pro um, after his uh, single season in the WHL last year. So this is two years of... Two years of North American hockey. Um, my God, he put up gaudy numbers uh, for the Vancouver Giants in the playoffs last year. He did. Goals, seventeen assists, twenty-one points in twelve games for Lysel. Mikulov is certainly climbing the ranks, getting valuable time with Lysel. The two are projected to be a solid pairing in the NHL soon. And as we discussed again pre-show, and it's relevant to the conversation we were just having with a certain Mr. Number 37 and how long he's going to be around. Not to mention number 46 and 46. If they both vacate the premises, should the ultimate award be reached? Uh, it's going to be open season on center positions in Boston. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's, <laughs> and that I believe is why that other minor trade Boston made, makes sense even if it's not for the boston bruins 
it might well turn into a he might well turn into a player for the Providence Bruins for a year or two. Um, but right now, uh, Georgi Merkulov does lead the Providence Bruins in scoring. Uh, he's up by three points on Vanilla Terry, who is injured. Um, you know what? It's entirely possible that opening the year next year uh, on game one is a line of Merkulov, Lysel, and Marchand. Interesting. Um, it's interesting only because Marchand having to break in a new center it just sounds so odd <laughs> it, it makes a little piece of me die every time I think about it yeah I can see that yeah I can feel you I have been on team Bergeron since the beginning like I know even before the two of us met I was team Bergeron I have to agree with that um, in not on ice play news, not, not on ice news. Okay. Off the ice. Sure. Wyshynski brings us a story of how Anthony Duclair is helping, uh, is helping bring hockey to areas that just don't see it very often. Um, you know, Duclair, Grew up in Montreal. His father put him in skates when he was two years old. Shocking in Montreal. Uh, shocking. Um, but he talks. He talks about being really, really struck by running into or a tweet from Imran uh, Siddiqui, uh, father of a six-year-old who went to build a bear and put a Panthers uniform on it and named the bear Duclair because <laughs> Anthony Duclair is, is a big favorite of him. Um, Duclair talks about both, how both of his parents are from Haiti originally. Um, and he's visited, you know, little Haiti neighborhood of Miami wants to build uh, ball hockey rinks there, hold hockey camps and potentially subsidize the cost of ice hockey for young players in the community. Um, this is this is a great thing because there's so many places that hockey just hasn't been introduced. I'm guessing and Haiti most likely one of them. But look, Miami barely knows that hockey exists. Because but, they have, a, that, but uh, they have a franchise. No, no, no. The franchise is in Sunrise, which is like 40 minutes outside of uh, outside okay. of Miami. That, that, that would yeah, like but, putting it in Newburyport. But Carolina's franchise is in like Nowheresville, Carolina, Raleigh or something like that. Raleigh's one of their bigger cities. I mean, okay. it's not in the RTP. Well, it is actually in the RTP area. Uh, so it's reasonably densely populated. But I mean, Sunrise is is basically like putting it in Lowell or Newburyport. It's. I just think it, I think this is great. I mean, I love feel good story again. NHL, don't miss out on the opportunity to. I don't want to see this. I don't want to see this. I, I don't want to see it. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I I don't want to see it splashed. I did wither on the vine. Yeah. I I don't want to see it. It, it, it. I can't think of the word. I use my words. I know, but. They need to do it right 
but you need to use this to your advantage. This is feel good stuff. This is how you bring fan. This is how you connect with the fans. This is you get into neighborhoods where hockey isn't the number one thing. You get into neighborhoods where maybe they don't know the game and you have them slowly, you have them introduce it. You have players go in there, let the people get to know it. These are opportunities. And for Anthony declare to go into a Haitian community and just get to know like this young man, Musa. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. And it tells you, it tells you about the players, the way that they react to young, to young fans. I, adult fans, they can be all over the spectrum. Most kids just want to talk about whatever it is that they love. This young man loves hockey, and he really loves Anthony Duclair, and that's awesome. Um. The Anthony Duclair Foundation, goal of bringing hockey to underserved, diverse communities, starting with those in the Panthers market. And and direct quote, and I mean, we have a lack of representation in this league right now. It's tough to grab onto something when you don't know that it's there. Ding, ding, ding. Get now, the word out and... Thank you to Anthony Duclair for this. This is fabulous. I knew I liked the guy. Is it possible to like a guy even more? Yes. Yeah. Um, when I say right wing, right shot, six foot two, hundred and ninety-nine pounds, um and Bridgewater, New Jersey, what do you think? Damn, he's not 6'2". <laughs> I heard New Jersey and I thought Connor, but, you know. <laughs> nope, not Connor. Doesn't Connor. look much like him either. 6'2"? Uh, 6'2", right wing, right shot, 199. So it's not Gauthier. Nope, we would be discussing the one, the only, Devin Kaplan. Um, Why don't I know this? And I don't know this name. Okay. Um, third round pick uh, in 2022 of the Philadelphia Flyers, uh, playing the season for ye old uh, Boston University. Um, among a a pretty robust crowd of uh, of draft picks, as always. Um, He's already been picked. Yes, I literally just said that. I know you did. Uh, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm commiserating. I'm commiserating because it means we can't pick him. So, (laughs) um, actually, the article has him at 204 pounds, and this is, um, Russ Cohen's article from the 22nd. It also Um, has him at 6'3. Yeah, Philly hockey now. Yep. Uh, Devin Kaplan is becoming a key player, um, contributing um, across the ice. He had a good rookie camp, uh, presumably with uh, with Philly. 
Um, Apparently, he 43 has penalty minutes so far this season. That's a little ouchy. Um, yeah, so he's a tough guy. So he's he's a little tough. He's also 6'3", 204 pounds. You know? physical, um, physical, I would expect physical. And I'm yes. sure Philly does, too, considering that, you know, Philly and Boston are two, you know, two teams where physical is celebrated. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, They're talking about him still needing to work on his uh, puck battles a little bit, uh, but he's already improved over his AHL or uh, I'm sorry, he's improved over his U.S. national development team numbers. Okay. Um, last year or his, in 30 games for uh, for the US, uh, national development team in 2021, he only managed six goals, 32 games for uh, BU so far this year. He's got nine goals. Um, and in that 2021 season, he was a minus 18. He's a plus 14 for BU this year. Um, he was behind a couple of guys I've literally never heard of on that national development team who probably will all be drafted in the next three years because three of them were 16 that year. Uh, and Sasha Pastrovov, who will probably be drafted this year if he wasn't last year. Um, Oh, wait a minute. I did hear of that guy, Logan Cooley. Yeah, he's I've he's supposed to be reasonable at hockey. Yeah. You might have. Um, yeah. Reasonable, reasonable at hockey, yes. Um, so they're expecting him to do – they're expecting him to play one more season at BU. And correct. then they're going to they're gonna send him to Lehigh Valley when he signs his entry level. Which makes sense. You got to get him up to speed as far as NHL caliber. But it sounds like he's on his way. I mean, obviously he's got the physical game down, which is going to serve him well when he gets to the AHL level, and if need be, down to the ECHL level. We hope not, but uh, down at the ECHL level, if he's as fast as he looks to be. Uh, he would probably be an all-star, which would be a crying shame because uh, the Flyers need him. <laughs> I um, uh, So Flyers he's, fans. Thinking he's a third-line talent, it'd be nice if he could squeeze into the top six. It sounds like, I mean, the one thing he's got, you can't teach size, obviously. The skills that he needs to work on, he can work on and yes. get better puck at. Battles, uh, puck battles, they're not even about size. They're about balance and just body coordination. And I mean, David Krejci, who you can use to pick a lock, uh, win puck battles along the boards. Very true. Uh, no, it sounds like he's on his way, and that and and that's good for him. I mean – BU is not – is BU one of the better teams this season? I, I, I'm trying to remember. I know BC is not – rankings. BC is not a good team this year as far as rankings are concerned. Uh, Northeastern is up in top five, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, 
I want to say they are. Um, but I've got the standings here somewhere. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why you go to the NCAA hockey and pull them up. Yes. Um, currently, oh, no, wait a minute. I wanted the rankings, not the standings. <laughs> uh, they're sixth in the country, according to pairwise. Okay, so it, we're talking about a kid who's playing on the sixth who's contributing at a noticeable level on the six on one of the top six teams in the league. Not bad. Not bad at all. Pairwise has them at six, the USCH, US college hockey, uh, USCH, USCHO.com has them ranked ninth. Uh, either way, you're still in the top, you're still in the top 10 schools in the country for hockey. Yeah. He's doing all right. Yep. Con- um, much continued success to uh, Mr. Kaplan. Moving uh, back to the Blues for a moment. Uh, the other night, Craig Baruby called them out in pretty blunt terms, and it was gorgeous. Um, one wonders if he hasn't been cribbing notes from John Tortorella. Um, it, it looked like it, 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 sma- it, it, it kind of smacked of torts. <laughs> Barubi's quote is a lot of our best players not doing the job that's uh, that's a big one I mean that was after the yes but then somebody said why or, did, or was he answering his own question no 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 he was asked why Okay. Um, he was asked why by a member of the press. It might have been uh, Jer- uh, Jeremy Rutherford, but uh, Barube said, I don't know. You'll have to ask them. I guess they don't care about the team. Oh, like, the first one is a gut shot. Uh, that one's aiming about uh, – that one's aiming a little tiny bit lower. The, the, prob- the problem is, and obviously when you captured this from the screen, you captured one of the comments – and I kind of agree. I kind of agree. Unfortunately, the coach will take the fall for the players on this team. He's going to take. Uh, uh, that always happens. But so you genuinely think Barube will be out of a job more than a month? Uh, when you can turn around and say, I've won a Stanley Cup. No. With a terrible team. With a, yeah, not. Well, a terrible goaltender and a mediocre team. He was having an average year, I guess. Yes, Bennington. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, and this this tweet, unfortunately, this this quote is not going to help him because they're going to turn around and instead of saying, yeah, we see it, the players really don't appear to care. They're going to see this as Barubi giving up on them and throwing them under the bus. You know what? If you don't want to land under the bus, don't give the coach a reason. I I, I agree. <laughs> I'm presenting the other side of it. That's what I'm trying to do here. Because, unfortunately, there are people who are going to look at this and think it's Barubi that's the problem. Because as much as I like, you know, Buchnevich 
and Shen and Kiru and Thomas. I watched their next game. Jordan Kairu? Yeah. Meh. I watched the game. I watched half of the game over there where he was talking about. They didn't look like they were into it. It it, it looked I mean it looked like that he had, it looked like half the roster had mono and the other half of the team was trying to stay away from them on the ice. Okay. The pandemic is over, people. <laughs> Um, I just, I, I'm seeing this from, like I said, from the other side of it and people are going to be like, he's giving up on the team. My, my response to that would be when he was brought in, your team was in dead last. You made the playoffs from dead last. (laughs) You think that that was because the players just pulled themselves up by their bootstraps or maybe the coach, the new coach, had something to do with it. Mm, I think maybe the new coach, and yeah, it, it didn't hurt that Bennington came in and legitimately played what appears to be all of the good hockey he will ever play in the NHL all at once, <laughs> all at once, because that's what he did, all at he, once. He he legitimately came in, Caught out fire. of having been loaned to the Boston Bruins. To climb over the rest of the refuse in their system and play the best hockey anyone has ever seen him play at the NHL level for the rest of that season and then limp through the playoffs. And he has yet to reattain those dizzying heights of mediocrity. Ouch. Okay. I call him as I see him. I'm not disagreeing with you. I've just, I, 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 how many times, how many times this season have I said that St. Louis let the wrong goaltender go? You're not wrong. (laughs) And he's literally gotten worse every year since they won the cup. He had a 914 save percentage in the playoffs that year. That's, that's average. That's legitimately average. In the 30, all 32 games that he played last year, that year for for them, he had a 927 save percentage. The next year he had a 912 in 50 games, a 910 in 42 the following year, a 901 in 37 in 21 22, and this year through 46 games he's got an 896. He's 21, he's 21, 20, and 5 with a 327 goals against. Again, you know, whether it's a team stat or not. But you, uh, the other guy, as you will call him, uh, I call him Billy Huso, who's now with the Detroit Red Wings. Mm, yeah, so 906 save percentage. Uh, 23 and 4, I want to get this right, 23, 14, and in 43 games. So he's played three less games, 43 23, 14, and 5. He's got a 9.07 save percentage and a 2.83 goals against average. Hmm. And three shutouts. Just to complete the loop on Jordan Bennington. <laughs> yeah. Um, this year, in those 46 games that he played, he has 10 really bad starts, according to the hockey reference stat. 
so slightly under one in four really bad starts. The league quality start percentage, uh, the quality stat percentage that they use, mm-hmm. um, 60% good goaltender, uh, 60% or higher, good goaltender, under 50%, bad. League average, 53%. The last two years, he has had a 432 and a 457 quality start percentage. So significantly under bad. His career total, including those first couple of se- that first season where he had a 667, which is very good. Yeah. He's at a 520. He is legitimately a bad goaltender. And they signed him to that terrible contract. He is legitimately a bad goaltender. Quotes to quotes to live by. He is legitimately a bad goaltender. Ah, uh, yeah. I just no. Like that is one of, that that may well be the worst contract in the league right now. And it's not like it's not like really Huso's blowing him away. I mean, if you want to look at quality start percentage in his two years at St. Louis, Billy Huso had a 566 quality start percentage. Um, this year with Detroit, he currently has a 512 quality. So career in his three years is 542. It's still 20 points higher than Mr. Bennington, but it's not spectacular but the team in front of them isn't that good either which doesn't help either of them but one of them is doing noticeably better um and i think that's i think we've actually covered everything this week which is bleeding amazing uh well i could throw i could throw some water on the fire and say we left off the espn power rankings but we did leave off the ESPN power rankings. That one might there. be a little bit too meaty for what, what time we've got left. Um, the ESPN power rankings is very, very interesting. If you're looking to figure out what your team is going to be like in the next five years, um, I would encourage all of you to look it up. Um, it was put out uh, on the 24th by Kristen Schulten. Um, I don't, I mean, the Bruins are in number one overall because they're not quite lapping the league, but they're pretty close. They're plus 95 in goals scored, which is goal differential plus 95. It's broken. That number is broken. When you look at the rest of the teams, I like, I, the next largest goal differential is New Jersey at 51. Yeah. And New Jersey has played one more game than the Bruins. After that is Carolina. Um, and if you combine Carolina and Toronto, you are still below what Boston has. So lapping the field might not actually be that far off of accurate. No. Um, and you talk about goal differential, you have to talk about defense and 
your boy uh, and the the power tandem of the decade, uh, Olmark and Swayman. Yes. The second best team in the league in terms of goals allowed is Carolina. They've allowed 154 goals. And there are 151. There are 151 goals. And there are five, six other teams in the 150s somewhere before you get to Minnesota, who is at 164. And Boston's only 124. A player could have a very good season and not be able to make up the difference between Boston and Carolina with their goal total. Yeah. The difference between Boston and Minnesota, who is like eighth in goals allowed, is a very, very good season, like a Rocket Richard uh, <laughs> conversation, 40 goals. Well, that's why they're ranked number one. I mean, I, and we're all surprised by it. None of us. It, it, I know. I know that I'm pretty sure that you didn't expect this. I know I didn't expect this information that I read and saw. Nobody expect they were supposed to be middle of the pack, and fifth, sixth seed maybe. Uh, I even read somewhere where they were going to be fighting for wild card spots. This was not expected at all. No. Um. But just. Taking a look at a couple of these. Yeah. I wouldn't put the Boston Bruins. 25 year old or younger core. In the top five of the league. Because Toronto. Matthews, Marner, Sandine, Lindgren, Timmons, Samsonov, Wall. All under 25. Um, you look at the Devils, Hughes, Mercer, Heischer, Brett, or Brat, all under 25. Um, you don't like the five-pack or the guys for the Rangers as much as I do. Um, the Rangers? No. Well, Ke'Andre Miller? Yeah. Adam Fox? Yeah. The rest of them? Eh. The Colorado Avalanche have Kale McCarr, which effectively puts them into the top five all by itself. And I love Kale McCarr. <laughs> you also have Bowen Byram, Alex Newhook, and Samuel Girard. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Sam Girard, yeah. A team that actually recognized that they were, even though they were drafting offensive players all the time, they actually recognized that maybe we should get a defenseman once in a while. <laughs> Yeah, or Oilers, even, not Oilers, Toronto, not so much. <laughs> Detroit, Morty, uh, Maurice Sider, Lucas Raymond, mm-hmm. Joe Milano, and Michael Rasmussen. But the team that is scary, and people are going to end up having to be moved because there's just not enough money to pay them all uh, in the next four or five years. Yeah, that's actually the biggest. Work. That's actually the biggest problem. Eisenman's going to have to deal with is where the oh, no, I'm not talking from. about them anymore. I'm talking about, I'm talking about the team. I don't want to see in the playoffs. The oh Buffalo yeah. Sabres. Well, no, they've got the same problem actually. Okay. Everybody. I may need to pause for breath during this recitation. Yeah, I know. Cause we're going to talk about Tage Thompson. Come on. 
Owen Power, <laughs> Matias Samuelson, Rasmus Dahlin, Dylan Cousins, uh, yes, Tage Thompson, Peyton Krebs, J.J. Paterka, Jack Quinn, and Chris's favorite, Uka Pekalukinen. That's nine players under 25 who are mm-hmm. all worth talking about. Uka's um, getting there. All of them worth talking about. Uh, that is probably my number one. And if not, I really need to, you really need to look at the Florida Panthers because you've got Matthew Kachuk, uh, Atu Losterinen, Josh Mahura, Anton Lundell, and Spencer Knight. Uh, speaking of Spencer Knight, he's entered player assistance program. Speedy, complete recovery. Please get back together Take and get yourself. on the ice. We love watching you play. Um, Have been since you were at Boston College. Absolutely. Um, and the Senators, of course, Sanderson, Stutzla, Norris, the other Kachuk, and, of course, Drake Batherson. Um, and even even the Vancouver Canucks, you know, they've got a couple of guys who are just over 25. Um, but they've also got Quinn Hughes, 23, Elias Pedersen, 24. Um, they recently added J- Jack Studnika. I don't know if he technically counts as part of their core, but he's only 23. I don't know if I'd call him recently acquired. I thought he was done before Christmas. Eh, it, that's st- it's not even March yet. It's the one, not even three months. The ones that the, the, what but, interests me is that they I, I don't know when this was written, but they don't actually mention Atrati. Uh, Neil Zaman and Niels Hoglander are tossed in there. Um, I would like I don't think he's playing in the NHL for them. I think he got I think they limited it to guys in the NHL. Um, Roddy played last night. Uh, he might not have been on the roster in the 24th when this was written. Oh, okay. Uh, but yes, uh, Atu Roddy is 20 years old, um, on his entry level, Dearborn, Michigan. Mm-hmm. There's there's a lot of young, talented. <sighs> This like this team is one of those teams who should be far better. Um, and I don't know how they didn't include Ethan Bear because he was certainly on the roster and he, uh, he missed a at least a chunk of last night's game uh, having he left body early. Punch to the face. Yeah, and hopefully he's got a speedy recovery out of him. It's just like stitches or something, but because he was gashed like. That was very that was very early in the game. That was like second shift. And he caught a he was up front. I think Lindholm shot a puck from the point. I think it rode up a stick, got him in the face. And he just immediately dropped his stick off the ice, gone. So yes. Uh, well was, wishes. He was leaking when he got when he exited the ice. Well wishes to him. Hopefully it's just stitches or something, and, and it's not anything more serious than that. Uh, but definitely take a look at the list. Uh, it's pretty interesting. Montreal's young core is certainly worth talking about. Uh, it would be nice if they could stay healthier. Um, mm-hmm. 
even even Columbus has some youngsters worth talking about, and there might be a couple of guys on the Anaheim Ducks worth we mentioning. Mentioned, we mentioned them earlier. Maybe. Two guys. No, I'm pretty sure I did. No. <laughs> three guys whose first that. names start with M. Two guys whose first names start with T. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I said, they've got a good young team there, and, and I feel bad for John Gibson, and hope and hopefully they can turn it around. And either that or let John go somewhere where he can thrive, not where he can thrive and play behind allows, defense. That and it would allow Anaheim to build out instead of having this. And I don't know. I don't know that John is in any way like uh, frustrated or whatever. I imagine he must be, but he's well, not frustrated and wanting out are not always the same thing, right? But if you if you're gonna, they're not blowing up, but rebuilding, you know, let them move on, bring up one of the younger goaltenders, you know, rebuild together. I, I just. And somehow they're somehow Anaheim is out tanking Chicago, who <laughs> it's sad when we have to talk about one team out tanking another. Maybe there's ways of fixing that. There are, and I think that's a great offseason topic. Um Maybe introducing a little bit of randomness back into the draft lottery. Um, but I think that's a good place for us to leave off of the week. Um, sure. As I said, uh, may jump in and open up a Twitter space sometime on Friday afternoon. Hopefully there'll be a couple of more interesting trades. Um, have a great week and, uh, we'll be back.